0: As they're leaving, you can open up your Bible and we'll jump back into our last passage in Jonah. This week, um, as I was preparing for this last sermon, I started thinking about our series as I heard a story. In the story, there was a couple of tourists who were working their way through Iceland. And when they hit a particular spot on the tour... They got off the bus and they were taking pictures and looking around at this cool place. And at some point, uh, somebody in the, on, the, on the tour said, somebody's missing. Somebody's gone missing and we need to find them. And so they began to form a search committee and they started going out looking until 3 a.m. And at 3 a.m. they realized that the woman they had, were looking for had actually been a part of the search committee. The deal was, when they got off the bus, she had bought some new clothes, changed her wardrobe, and so when they began to describe who was missing, she didn't recognize that it was her. And so for the last however many hours, she had actually been looking for herself. This whole group of people went looking for something, And what they didn't realize is who they were looking for was right there with them. This is kind of part of what we've been doing with the sermon series, right? Our desire has not to to miss the forest for the fish. That's what we've said. Because Jonah is a mirror. And what we're saying is that as we look at this book and as we look at this story of this prophet, it's like we're holding up a mirror and saying, who is this man? It's It's actually me. And I've been right here the whole time. That the heart of Jonah and the way that he runs and rebels from God reflects something about my hard-heartedness. And yet the good news is this, that if Jonah is a mirror, then it also means that if God's loving, sovereign, pursuing grace can rescue someone like Jonah, then that grace must also be available to me, to a sinner like me. That's the good news. And so we're going to hold up the mirror one more time this morning as we look at Jonah chapter 4 together. We'll start in verse 3, the end of chapter 3, sorry, verse 10. And it says that when God saw what they did, meaning Nineveh, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. And he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said... Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the vine? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? (laughs) Welcome to the end of Jonah. What a strange and odd ending. Hey, I want to talk this morning a little bit about compassion, Compassion is one of those things that we know it when we see it. Look at some of these pictures of compassion that we see in the world around us. You know, when we look at these pictures, our hearts are moved, they're stirred. We rejoice. We want to tell people around us all about them. There's a picture of compassion of this uh, young lady who's a high school state track athlete. And uh, she wasn't known for winning the final as much as she was known for this act in the 3,200 meter of grabbing uh, someone on another team, picking her up and walking her across the finish line. This is compassion. You know, there's another kind of compassion, though, that can really hack you off. There's a kind of compassion that will make you greatly displeased. It's simple enough to think about It's when we look around the world and we see people who are cheating, they're taking shortcuts, they're lying, there's injustice, and we say, if they're let off the hook, that's not fair. If there is compassion demonstrated to someone who has hurt your family or wronged your children, you would say, they don't deserve it if they're let off the hook. And yet, Jonah chapter 4 asks this question. Do you do well to be angry? The way the text answers this question is by showing us three things. Jonah's heart of anger. God's heart of compassion. And then he brings those together into the spotlight to show us a contrast. And in that contrast, we're meant to see the very person of Jesus. And so let's look at this together first by looking at Jonah's heart and the resentment that runs away. And so we see in Jonah's heart this anger, this resentment, and we wonder why it's there. I mean, he has, he has gone to Nineveh, and he has preached the most successful sermon of his life to the most difficult audience that you could imagine, and they have responded in this overwhelming way. In fact, up to the king who announces a citywide fast and prays, down to the last man, Even the animals are fasting, and God relents. He doesn't destroy the city. And so we would expect this book to end sort of triumphantly, with Jonah moving west, back to his homeland, rejoicing at what God has done. But that's not at all what happens. In fact, something incredible happens. As God's anger against Nineveh's sin is quieted by his compassion, This prophet's unholy anger is ignited by God himself. In verse 1 it says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Now the Hebrew word there for greatly displeased is a double. It means that when Jonah looked at what God was doing, he considered it an evil evil. And the word there for anger is actually the word hot. Jonah got hot. We would say he exploded in anger. Now I want you to think about that for a minute because when a professional golfer hits a hole in one and the crowd erupts in applause, does he get angry about that? When a musician plays beautiful music in Carnegie Hall and at the end there's a standing ovation, does the musician get angry about that? Why then this prophet preacher, who has just had this overwhelming success, become greatly displeased? It's because there's an iceberg. The iceberg means that there's more happening below the surface than what we see on the text. And the first thing we see is that Jonah has a theological problem, verse 2. It says that he prayed to the Lord. Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was quick to flee. What is he saying? He's saying, I knew you would do this. I knew this is the kind of God that you are. All right, we are supposed to be your covenant people, the object of your mercy and grace, and yet you're going to show compassion on our enemy? How can you claim to be a God of justice and do what you're doing to our enemy? Now, here's the problem. As this tension is beginning to rise in Jonah's heart, he does not do what David does so often in the Psalms, which is bring before the Lord and really honest confession and say, God, our enemies are wicked and I hate them and I wish you would blow them out of the water. But you are king and you are God and I trust in you. Read the Psalms, pick it up, flip it open. You will see this happening over and over again. But this is not what Jonah is going to do. Because why? Because not only does he have a theological problem, he has a heart problem. He has idolatry. Jonah verse three, or, uh, chapter 4, 3 says, Jonah says, it is better for me to die than to live. Now listen, you do not lose your desire to live unless your meaning in life has been extinguished. Jonah had a covenant relationship with God. He had been the object of God's rescue, and yet there is something that he values even more. Something has replaced God as the main joy and the main love of his life. And what happens is an explosive anger begins to show that he is willing to walk away from God unless he can have this one thing. Now, most of us have heard the expression, we've all heard the expression, where there's smoke, there's fire. And so what we see in the smoke that is coming out of Jonah's heart, if we trace it back, there is a fire burning on an altar to an idol. And that idol in our own lives is usually starts off as a good thing, but then slips into where it becomes an ultimate thing. You may have heard of Sergio Garcia. He's a professional golfer, and a couple years ago, he was disqualified from a tournament event because he had an outburst of anger. And he apologized. He agreed with the PGA's decision. But here's a brief clip from that event. Take a look. All right, you know, when he comes out of the bunker, he's speaking Spanish. I don't think I have to translate. I think you get what he's saying there. I can tell you this, where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't know what it is for for Sergio, but I know it's a lot more than a bunker shot. Nineveh's response is pleasing to God, but it's a threat to Israel's military and national security, and Jonah loved his country. Now, isn't that a good thing to love your country? It is a good thing to love your country. But Keller says that whenever your love for country becomes an inordinate thing, when it begins to tribalize you, when it begins to cause you to exploit people, then your love of country has become your main love. Listen to this quote. When Christian believers care more for their interests and their security than for the good and salvation of other races and ethnicities, they are sinning like Jonah. If they value the economic and military flourishing of their country over the good of the human race and the furtherance of God's work in the world, they are sinning like Jonah. Their identity is more rooted in their race and nationality than being saved sinners and children of God. Jonah's rightful love for his country and people had become inordinate, too great, rivaling God. Have you ever seen the, the show American Idol? What about not the show? What about just the current climate that we live in and our American idol right now in our world, this political tribalism? You know how I know it's there? Because I can see the smoke. And I look at social media and I see in the past year, two of my extended family members, one of them saying, Nancy Pelosi can go to fill in the blank. And another one of my extended family saying, Trump is a... And it makes me think Thanksgiving is going to be real fun, you know. Uh, But you see it too. You see the smoke. And this is a place in our conversations where self-righteousness runs supreme, reigns supreme. And so whenever self-righteousness reigns supreme, we will even use God's words against him. This is what Jonah does in in verse 2. He begins to berate and question God. He uses his own words against him. Listen, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. These are almost the exact words that are quoted in Exodus 34 by God himself, about himself and his own character. And here's Jonah having the audacity to throw those words right back in his face. Look at Exodus 34. And you'll see the problem. The problem is that Jonah, when he misquotes and leaves out the last verse, he is creating a simplistic view of God. He does not quote the part where it says, yet you do not leave the guilty unpunished. And so he doesn't have any sense of his justice, and he doesn't care. Because Jonah wants to use God's word to justify his anger and his bitterness. And so let me say that whenever we read the Bible to prove our case, to say, I knew it, I'm right. Whenever we read it to feel wise in our own eyes, we are using it to promote our story and not to glorify him. If we feel more righteous when we read it, then we're misreading it. Reading the Bible rightly is when it humbles us and it critiques us and that it encourages us to move forward and freely Only in his grace, despite our flaws. You know, the the scary, really unnerving reality about all this is that my human heart and your human heart, even after all the grace that we've received, still has this strong proclivity to self-righteousness. And we want to be right. We want to be right more than we want relationship. Listen to this quote by Jacques Ellul. The really unbearable thing for us is grace. It does not satisfy religious needs. We are possessed by an obsessive desire to justify ourselves, to be righteous in our own eyes, to seem to be righteous in the eyes of others. Saying that God loves us grants us no reassurance. We would prefer it if He gave us 50 things to do so that when we had done them, we could be at peace. We do not want an ongoing relationship with God. We prefer a rule. You know, Jonah cannot accept a life where all is grace. All is grace. Because to accept that life means that he would be just as undeserving as the Ninevites. And he cannot do that. And so because he cannot do that, he walks away from God and goes to the darkest places imaginable. Look at verses 3 through 5. He says, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. You know, when you as a believer begin to dig your heels in and walk away from God like this, it can take you to scary, miserable places. And Jonah is ready to quit on ministry, to quit on life, and to quit on God. And Jonah prays, and and God answers this prayer verbally. And Jonah walks out. He walks east of the city, If you study your Bible, if you go east of the, anytime you go east, that's real bad. Adam and Eve went east, and Lot went east, and Esau went east. You don't want to go east, and he's going east. Here's this servant of God. It's like so often happens in ministry when things don't go our way. We become a spectator, and we sit on the outside, on the sidelines, watching, judging, criticizing. Surely God, we would think, has got to be done with him now. He's going east. That's what we're supposed to see. And yet, I want you to think about the firm foundation, what we sang earlier. I will build my heart, my trust upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And the beauty of this text is that God does not say, you're fired. He does not just chastise him and blow him out of the water like we would expect. And this is on purpose, because if Jonah is a mirror, it might mean for us that there are times when things in life gets really, really bad. That if you are a leader in any context in your home, if you're a spouse, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a professor, if you are a roommate and you think this new life and calling that God has given me, suddenly the expectations are not what they thought they, I thought they would be. And I am ready to quit. There is good news. God is saying, I am with you. Don't quit. I'm not giving up on Jonah. I'm not giving up on you. And that's because of God's heart. Number two, the compassion that pursues it is our greatest hope. God's compassion was the greatest hope for Nineveh, and it's the greatest hope for us as his children. It means that God's heart is never done with you. He's never done with your heart. So let's look at verse 6. It says, then the Lord God provided a vine. He made it grow up over Jonah to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine." Now, instead of accepting Jonah's resignation, which he has offered twice, God begins to conspire through everyday events to pursue Jonah in his heart. He provides a vine. He makes it grow. Sometimes the things that God brings into our lives feel really positive and we are pumped about them. Here's this shade. Here's this vine. It eases his pain. That means that God is so committed to the transformation of the Christian. He's just as committed to the transformation of your heart as he is to the whole world, that he will come after us with the circumstances in our lives. Sometimes the positive ones, but as we look in the next verse, sometimes the really hard and painful ones. Look at verse seven. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so it withered. Now I want you to know that God is not playing with Jonah here. He's pursuing Jonah. And based on the promises of Romans 8, 28 and 29, that's the verse, it means that he is organizing all the events of your life in a particular way with an end goal to make you conformed into the likeness of Jesus. This is what we were talking about in the welcome. That means that when he says that he's working all things for your good, that that good is you being reshaped, and remolded into the image of Jesus Christ. This is what God is up to every day. This is what he's showing us in this chapter. It's not overstated, it's a promise. Now that does not mean it's a justification to sort of try to interpret everything that's happening on the day to day. But it is a justification to expect that this is exactly what God is doing in our everyday lives, conforming our hearts into the image of Jesus. And now here's the result Jonah says in verse 8, it would be better for me to die than to live. And now he would have to say, surely now, God, you are done. Surely you are done with him. And yet he poses another question. Do you do well to be angry? I love that question. He does not say, you idiot. He does not criticize him again and say, you've missed it again. Instead, he asks pursuing questions. He begins to, to draw him out. And look for what's underneath the surface in his life. God, God drawing him out is so hopeful because it means that if you're in ministry and you're learning that the resistance of God's people is sometimes painfully, paralyzingly slow, then you can stick with it. God's saying, Don't give up, mom, don't give up dad, don't give up, grandparent, don't give up spouse. Don't give up teacher or counselor or coach. I'm up to something. Hang in there. I'm doing it. Lastly, number three, we see these two hearts. God brings them together to contrast them up close. It's the grand finale. And so to get to the heart of this prophet, this is Jonah's final test. To see God's heart, the heart of Jesus right in front of him. And what God is saying is that his goal for every human that belongs to him, that he would call his own, is to make us like his son, Jesus. Let me take your heart and my son's heart and put them side by side. I had a friend in college who was trying to learn how to play the guitar, and he did this weird thing. He started playing Phil Kagey music, and he played it every single day. And Phil Kagey was a guitarist who Jimi Hendrix said, that's the greatest guitarist in the world. And my friend would listen to it over and over and over again and he'd try to play, he'd try to play until finally he got it. If you want to paint a masterpiece, you set a masterpiece in front of you and you start working on it. And what God is saying is, I want you to do this with the heart of my son Jesus. Hold it up in front of you and you start working on it because I'm working on you. This is the promise of the the whole book of Jonah, that by taking Jonah's foolish, confident self-awareness, he begins to contrast it with his own omniscience, his own heart. Look at how he does this in verse 9. It's unbelievable. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. I'm angry enough to die. Sometimes we mistake strong feelings for accuracy of thought. Because we feel so strongly about it, it must be true. God's saying, you don't know what you're talking about. All right? Here's your self-awareness. Let me show you Jesus, who has all omniscience, who knew all things, who in John chapter 13 knew that his hour had come, knew that the enemy had put into, the, into Jude, Jude, Judas's heart this plan to betray him. He knew who he belonged to. And yet, with all that knowledge, and with the emotions he must have felt he moved towards service and washing feet look at verse 10 but the lord said you've been concerned about this vine though you did not tend it or make it grow it sprang up overnight and died overnight god saying hey you're not you don't have as much control over your life as you think you do here's jonah's heart and his desire control but here's jesus and the one who's in absolute control saying the vine i am the vine You care about a vine? The vine is me and my branches. That's who you should be concerned about. So he reprioritizes. He says, this is your priority. This is where you think you have control. Here's my priority. Give everything to this. And then verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also much cattle, Let me paraphrase it this way. This is a jab for sure that he's taking, but I think what he's also saying is, here are 120,000 people who have livestock, and yet they cannot take stock of their own lives. They are blind, they do not understand. You have no idea, Jonah, what has happened in their life, what has led them to where they are today, and you were able to grow up amongst my people with all these blessings. And if you would have grown up there, you have no idea how you could have turned out. You don't know. Here's God saying, we should not write off hard people because we do not know anything about their deficits. How could they do that? How could they say that? How could they be like that? We don't know. And the heart, our lack of awareness about other people strikes down any compassion that we're able to give in mission and so here's how this book ends it ends with this question should I not have concern should I not have compassion on this city and we don't know how Jonah responds to the question and that's what the author's point is it's like he's taken an arrow with this question and aimed it at Jonah's heart and as he lets go Jonah disappears and we feel the arrow piercing our own heart begging the question How will you respond? How will you respond when Jesus' heart of compassion is compared and contrasted with your own? Here is this heart of Jesus, the true prophet. Now, when you think about this, Jonah goes outside the city. Do you know what Jesus did the week of Passion Week? He moves towards the city. And as he's outside of the city looking in, it says this this prophet, priest, and king begins to weep with compassion. The word compassion means to grieve, to have your heart rent, to be so attached to someone else that where they are elated and happy, we become that with them. But when they're distressed, we weep and we're broken with them. Here's Jesus so attaching himself to the Jonas of Jerusalem that he's willing to move into the city, even knowing an angry mob is about to take him out. God says to Jonah, you don't know. They don't know. And what does Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know. And this is the mystery of the cross. This is the answer to Exodus 34 and Jonah's great problem. It's the cross. It's where he does not leave the guilty unpunished, but instead he takes the guilt upon himself. And it's where we experience the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of God. On the cross, the perfect prophet, king, and priest takes mercy and justice and takes it upon himself. This is our God. This is Jesus. This is who we're meant to see. We're meant to see our heart and then the heart of Jesus and how that frees us up for mission. I know we're running late, but I got to tell you one last story as we finish out this series. It's a good one. It's about a guy named uh, Roy Hinton, Ray Hinton. Ray Hinton was an African-American man who was convicted and sent to death row in Alabama. He was innocent. He was a Christian, and there wasn't a shred of evidence against him. And yet for 30 years, he was on death row, even though he was totally innocent, no, no evidence against him. There's a book called the sun does shine that tells his story. Now Ray Hinton didn't go to Nineveh. But there was plenty of people on death row that were really messed up and scary people and they could have used the gospel that Ray had grown up with in his home with his mother. But instead when he got there he was so bitter and so angry because of this injustice that was happening to him that he threw his bible under his bed and he didn't say anything to anyone for 3 years. He didn't say a word not to any prisoners, not to any guards, not to the people who brought him food. The only people that he talked to was his mother and his friend Lester when they came to visit him. And then suddenly there was a night where there was a man three cells down. It was a white man, and that man began to sob. And Ray said that he was not prepared for what happened in his heart, for the question that God had for him. And the question was this, do you do well? To be angry. This is what he said in the book. He began to realize, my friend Lester had choices. There's a quote on the screen, and I was glad he was making them. I thought again and again about all the choices I didn't have and about freedom, and then the man stopped crying, and there was a silence, and that was louder than any noise I had ever heard. What if this man killed himself tonight, and I did nothing? Wouldn't that be a choice? I was on death row, not by my own choice, but I had made the choice to spend the last three years thinking about killing the prosecuting attorney and about killing myself. Despair was a choice. Hatred was a choice. And anger was a choice. I still had choices, and that knowledge rocked me. I may not have had as many as Lester had, but I still had some choices. I could choose to give up, or I could choose to hang on. Hope was a choice. Faith was a choice. And more than anything else, love was a choice. Compassion was a choice. And that very night, Ray Hinton began to comfort that man who was in the cell block, three cells down, and to speak words of life to him and comfort him and help him through his sorrow, even though that man was a former member of the KKK, and he had actually gone to prison because of the crimes he had committed as a part of that organization. And after they got through that night together, they became best friends. And this compassion broke down the barriers of hatred. Ray wrote this, I can't describe what it means to have your heart broken open. But in that moment, I was no longer a convicted prisoner on death row. I was Anthony Ray Hinton from Preco, Alabama, and I was my mama's son. He remembered who he was and he remembered his identity and he remembered that he was a forgiven sinner who belonged to Jesus and the compassion of gra- and the grace of God gave him the freedom to do mission right where he was. Let's pray together that God would give us that same freedom. God, we thank you for the book of Jonah. We thank you for your word that is like a mirror to us. It reminds us of who we are in the basements of our heart, in the deepest, darkest places where we criticize and judge and dismiss and snub other people, where we tribalize and find ways to justify and bring self-righteousness, where we run to comfort instead of the mission. And now, Lord God, we see again the heart of Jesus and the steadfast love that will never let us go but will continue to conform us more and more into the heart of Jesus. Oh, Lord God, we pray that like a seed that would be planted and watered to fruition, this very year, starting right now, you would move us out as the people of God to know, to grow, and to reach the world around us And would you do that as we are firmly secure in the compassionate heart of God. Thank you for pursuing us in the person of Jesus. Amen.